I don't know if you've ever had the occasion. Some of you had even recently, as I think of some families of lost loved ones, to be sitting with someone who's in the close throes of death. I mean, they're, they're within just a few days, weeks, hours of dying, and they know it. And, and you get to sit with them and you watch them and, and, and you have conversations with them and small talk is over. Now it's the things that matter and the things that you want to remember and the stories that you want to tell so that they are known. I, I want you to envision that's kind of what Peter's doing here. I'm not sure he's in prison yet, but it doesn't really matter because he's close to death. We know from the Lord's prophecy of John 21 that he is going to end up in prison and he is going to end up dying for the faith. And he knows that and his time is close. So what does he want to say and what does he want to tell his readers. That's what Second Peter is about, his final words. And here they are. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and with brotherly affection, love. For these qualities are yours, and are increasing if they are. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, so much so that he's blind, having forget, forgotten that he's been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, make every effort, be diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way you'll be richly provided for you, it will be richly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last words, a dream that Peter has for his readers. He wants them to be firm and strong in the faith. He knows the challenges they're going to face. While he's ending his walk of faith, they are in the midst of theirs. He's about to claim the victory, but they've still got to fight for theirs. They're on the right road, but there's so many obstacles and roadblocks that could easily get them to leave that straight and narrow. And the one thing he wants is to know that they're going to end up in heaven with him. And if I were to pick one text that summarizes what the eldership of Valley View wants for you, it would be this one. When you come to the end of his words, it's clear the picture of what Peter wants for us and what your elders want for you. Number one, I want you to be fruitful and effective in your faith. He puts it in the negative, actually, in verse 8. Whoever lacks these qualities, he says in verse 9, but if you keep these qualities, they'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. If you take the in, the un, off of those, you're going to say, number one, I don't want you to be idle. The word for ineffective is the word for idle. In that parable, the Lord tells 
of the workers in the vineyard who are waiting to be hired for the day. They stand around doing nothing. The word idle means uh, ineffective. They are doing nothing. They have skills. They have knowledge. They're available, but they're standing there doing nothing. I don't want you to have a faith that works in the pew but does nothing when you get to your life. I don't want you idle. I don't want you having all this knowledge and all this grace from God and you slip your engine into neutral and you're doing nothing with it. The greatest joy I can imagine for this eldership is to look out on your life and see that you're putting into use the faith that you get here and the words that you hear here. The word for unfruitful would be like when Jesus cursed the fig tree because it's supposed to produce fruit and it had none on it. We want to know that you don't just come to church to mark off your time, but you experience joy in worshiping God. I want to look around and see people engaged. I want to look around and see people singing. I want to look around and see people actually, obviously, at least as far as I can tell, actually worshiping the Lord in a way that's going to affect how they live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I want to see people that when they go out to their lives, they're actually practicing their faith on the job and at home. I want to see young people who I could drop in at school and know, you know what? They're practicing exactly what we talk about in Bible class. Oh, I'm going to tell you, like John says, Second John, Third John, actually, no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. There is one greater one, and that is when I see my children walking in the truth. And when your eldership can look out there and see you practicing it and adding to your faith these things, oh, they have a great delight in it. It's one of those things at elders' meetings I actually want to talk about. John Golden, for the first time getting on a plane, he's kind of like Mr. T in the old... You got, I, I'm saying A-team, and y'all are going, anybody remember A-team? Okay, I'm aging myself here. I need to do something different. He gets on a plane, leaves his family for a week, and he goes to Haiti and does that stuff, and he comes back, his life has been touched. Here's a guy who I see practicing his faith, and it is a blessing to this church, and these elders love to see that. Nothing like it. Brandy Leblon going through a little bit of a setback, and she's struggling with it, but she's hanging in there by faith, and I love, I love, I love seeing people struggling but staying faithful. To know that the things we talk about and sing aren't just things we say with our lips, but we back up with our lives. I love to see it. And this eldership says, you know what we want? We want to see you fruitful and faithful in your, in your actual walk of life. It's just beautiful to watch. He wants them to never fall. You'll see that in verse 10. To be so strong in the faith that you don't fall away. And do you know why Peter wants to see this? Because he knows you can. I watched one of my favorite preachers on TV this morning at 6 o'clock. He's good except for one thing. He thinks once saved, always saved. He's not a Church of Christ guy, you can tell that. But he, he, he has, I love his communication and stuff. But he just said, once you're saved, you can't lose it. And I'm saying, Peter didn't think so. And do you know why he didn't think so? Because he knew from experience you could. He remembers when he and Judas together did some of the worst stuff and Judas couldn't live with himself and he hung himself and Peter knows why. Peter was down in the dumps too and he grieved and he mourned what he did and he turned his back on the Lord, returned to his old occupation and the Lord himself has to come after him. And what he knows is you're going to experience failure and disappointment. You are going to sin, church. You are going to experience great trials in this life and there's nobody who can tell you you're not but you can handle it with faith and you can stumble and you can make mistakes but you should never fall and we want to see that in the church 
You know why we have an invitation? Because we admit to each other. The reason we build in an invitation is because we all have a built-in propensity to sin. And we want to give people the chance to break the hold of sin in their lives. And we're saying, by having an invitation, we are saying, we all know the power of sin to hold you down, but we want to give you a chance to, right in front of the assembly, break the hold of sin. You don't have to stay down. You don't have to. You can be strong enough to bend. You can be strong enough to stumble and not fall. And that's what we want to see, a membership here. One last one, which you see in verse 11, is he wants them to get to heaven with him. It will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the ultimate goal for all of us. This ought to be your goal for yourself. I hope you have ambition to be the best at, the, at your occupation, the best at your homes. Get out there, get all the wealth, get all the position you can. But folks, if you do all that and you miss heaven, you are a failure. You are a failure. You've lost it all. What would you, what is it gain to, what, what is the benefit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And I want you to know something. I want your kids, I want you to raise and be happy. Go after those good jobs and, and be healthy and, and wealthy and wise and all that stuff. But listen, if they can't do that and still get to heaven, your number one thing is the heaven, not that other stuff. It's not going to matter. I can tell you, Robert would tell you, Robert Whitaker will tell you on his deathbed that all that matters then and all that matters now, where are you with the Lord? Make sure you get to heaven. Valley View has this great you know, determination to be a role in getting you to heaven. I don't believe all these theories of education that pushes all the emphasis on the teacher, like you should be paid according to how well your students do. I think that's ludicrous. I do, however, think the teacher makes a big difference in whether that kid learns or not. And I think this church cannot get you to heaven, but you can't just by attending church, just by being here on Sunday morning that we're going we're gonna to coast people into heaven. It's not that. We're a great role, and the things that we do are to empower and enable you to be strong enough to, to, to be fruitful and faithful, to not fall and to make it to heaven. That's our goal for you. I hope it's your goal for yourself. But that's not enough to want to. Elders were invited to the Watsons in Newport not long ago, and Annie just got up and did a beautiful violin solo is gorgeous abby told me not to mention her anymore so i know this little girl that was there this this teenage girl that was there watching the violin being played i want to do that i want to do that and i was I, yeah yeah i remember the piano i remember the when you see somebody do that you want that but i don't know that you want it bad enough to do what it takes to get there you know what i'm saying you can want something, but do you want it bad enough to put in the hours of practice behind there to get good at it? Do you want it that bad? And heaven is like that, and these goals are like that. I hope that's your goal, but I hope it's more than a wish dream, like I hope the Cardinals win the World Series next year, because I don't think that's happening. And it takes more than just wishing and wanting and having a goal for yourself. There's a couple of steps to get to this goal. And the first one is God has provided these great provisions for us 
these powerful tools for us that we must utilize. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given this incredible blessing. I want, here's all you need. All you need is this, and he hands it to us. It's called Scripture, and in that is the knowledge of God. But if you never use it, it's useless. Like the treadmill at your house. We've got to use this. It's God's instruction. And so this is your instruction for how you're going to make it to these goals God has for you. Okay, now the question is, are you going to do this? Because the fact that you can and you have the enablement doesn't mean that you actually practice it. And so, so all these people, you can think about these dads on Christmas Eve putting these toys together or the day after Christmas, after they open all, and you see these instructions for how to build this thing. And how many of you dads actually follow the instructions? How many? It's what I thought. I'm glad you're telling the truth. We had one liar in early service. I got all over him. Nobody follows the instructions. You don't understand what those pictures mean anyway, and so you just do your best, and you wonder where, what these three screws and one piece of wood that are left over are for, right? Nobody wants to follow instructions. I can do it. I can figure it out just by looking at it, and everybody has these instructions from God about how to be, live a godly life, and everything we need is right here, but we don't want to go by it. We want to do it our way. We want to say, I did it my We want to do it my way. We, I can do it more creatively. I think more logically. I can figure this out on my own. I'm independent. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. And God says, no, you can't. God's ways and man's ways are not the same. One is higher than the other, and it isn't yours. And people say that book is 2,000 years old and the, the culture we live in frowns on it and is going in every way it can against that. And we are still saying, when the culture is swaying all the way that way, we are still over here saying, this is God's only instruction. Now, I want you to fill this verse in for me. Complete it for me. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The only way you have faith that saves is you keep hearing God's words. There's all these other voices telling you things to do, all the other suggestions and advice from wise people in the world. And God's Word is the only source that actually gives you faith that saves you. You've got to listen to His words and put them into your heart and incorporate them in your life. And so the first step to meeting these goals that, we'll, that Peter has for us, your elders have for you, is to pile up that knowledge as best you can. Soak it all in. Come to Bible class. And those of you who are Bible class teachers, I'm okay with some of the stuff that, that, that people offer you. But the power that saves, the only thing that gives you faith, is not some neat book on the New York Times seller list. It is the Word of God. Let the Bible class be the Bible. Right? That's how... We're going to withstand the onslaught of the world against what God says. Get as much of it as you can. If you go to your mechanic, you want him to have as much knowledge of mechanics as you can. Go to a doctor, you want him to have as much knowledge of doctoring as you can, as he can. That's the first step, but there's something else. You've got to still make every effort. You notice in verse 2, 
Grace and peace will be multiplied to you as you gain knowledge. You see that? As you gain the knowledge of God and you put it in and ingest it and incorporate it into your, who you are, internalize it, God's grace is multiplied and how he expects to see it is when you do the adding. He multiplies grace, you do the adding. And he says, make every effort, verse 5, make every effort. This is going to take some energy. This is going to take some time. This is going to be some work. Make every effort because of this, for this very reason, Make every effort, verse 5, to supplement or add to your faith. It's going to take more than just knowledge. Just sitting here in Bible class, it's great. And those of you who are Bible scholars who can answer the 20,000 questions on Bible trivia, uh, great. But that's not the test of faith. Not in totality. Make every effort. The baseball player wants to keep practicing even after he's good because he wants to get better and add a tool or two. When Ozzie Smith was coming up with the Padres and when he got to the Cardinals, the scouting report was all the same. Good field, no hit. He can field like a wizard, but he can't hit his way out of a paper bag. And he kept practicing and kept practicing and kept practicing and he hit 303 one year. Because he practiced enough to keep adding to his skills those things he needed. And so if you're going to get to that finish line, and you're going to stay strong, and you're going to be fruitful, it needs to be all the knowledge you can get. Get all of God's knowledge in your brain and your heart as possible. And then you need to live it. You need to add things to it as you practice it in real life. I'm going to illustrate these two with somebody local. There's a doctor who lives among us that... uh, who's a good doctor, I hear. Some people like him. Dr. Carlton. There's, as far as I know, I didn't talk to him, but there's two ways to become a doctor. Number one is get all the knowledge you can. Get those books, get that weird chemistry stuff, all that hard, hard stuff that really smart people go for, and you pile that up, and you pass the test, and you recognize these things, and you get this MD. You've got a little residency in there, too, and all that. But largely, it's book knowledge. But then, then he gets out there and he actually practices it. And whether he can recognize the book description when an actual person with that problem comes in, that's, that's when he's practicing, which is weird to me because how long have you been in business, Randy? 19 years, and it's still called a practice. When are you ever going to get good enough to actually do it? You're just practicing, huh? Retire, you'll retire. Anyway, you, you get book smarts, the, the knowledge, the information, and then you get the practice. And together, that makes you a good doctor. And just for the sake of slides, I asked his wife, would you send me a picture of him and his doctor stuff? And this is what she sent me. She is walking by faith, not by sight. (laughs) She needs to go to Tommy next. Uh, (laughs) You begin with this knowledge, right? You begin with this faith, this knowledge of God that he's blessed you with, but it's got to go higher than that. God accepts you as you are, but he won't let you stay that way. Now what I want you to do is look in your bulletin if you would the rest of the sermon is right there i couldn't fit it on a slide to be honest with you although we will describe it this chart these are not stair steps like you add one and then you add the next and you add the next that is not what this is 
This is when you add stuff to your faith that shows that your faith is real. When you take that knowledge of God and you actually apply it in real life. And so here's what it looks like. And I put the description in there. You don't have to write anything. I just want you to read it with me. Virtue is the first one. And virtue is when you actually live out your faith teaching. That knowledge God gives you in the context of everyday life. When you take what we talk about and how you need to be and put to death this and, and, and put on this in your life, and you go outside this church building, you don't leave it here to pick it up the next time you're here, but you take it with you and you get in your car. What it looks like, what faith, people can't tell you to believe in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. You've been baptized by driving on the highway. But the one way you do show faith is when you have virtue on the highway. When you have kindness, and when you have compassion, and you have goodness, and you have mercy, and plain courtesy. And that faith, when you take it to the supermarket when it's busy, and there's 8,000 people checking out and two registers open, what it looks like then is virtue. It's not good enough just to come to church and say, Amen, I agree with what the preacher says and the teacher says, and then to go out in your life and, and, and strip yourselves of that as you leave. You take it with you, and the way it looks like, what faith looks like, and the knowledge of God looks like in everyday life comes out as virtue. And then, and then you will add the fact that you can, even, you can even think through the proper faith response when you don't have a book, chapter, and verse. That's the second one, knowledge. When you actually live out your faith teaching, the knowledge of God, in circumstances that require discernment, you don't have a clear book, chapter, and verse, but you can start thinking like God thinks. And when you're faced with this challenge where you say, I don't have you know, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5 to give me an answer, I can think with the heart of God. I want you to look at this next slide. This is too... Two passages from Ephesians. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Why would he say that to the Ephesians? Why wouldn't he say, just look it up in Scripture? Because Scripture will not answer specifically every dilemma you face. But it will if you start taking on the mindset of Scripture. And you'll start going, how can I please the Lord? And I want you to look at this very carefully. Because he does not say, make sure you make decisions that will not send you to hell. That's not what he says. I want you to make decisions that make you as pleasing to God as you can in the way you decide this. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Start thinking with the heart of God. And that's what you add. When you add to your faith, that knowledge God gives you, experiential faith, where you start practicing the mind of Christ even when you don't have a clear answer from Scripture about it, that's when you're adding knowledge. Next one is this. When you actually live out your faith teaching, that knowledge of God, when it goes against everything you really want to do, you really want to watch that show. You really want to engage in that relationship. You really want to go on that date with that person, and you know what that date will lead to. You really want to, but you know what the Word of God says. And instead of going with what you want, you decide to do what God wants. Congratulations, you've just added to your faith self-control. And I have to think as John Golden, I'm going to build him up a little bit. I have to think that a person doesn't want to make a trip like that maybe. And he makes himself do it. He has just exercised some self-control for the sake of God. He's added something to his faith. The next one's a little different. It's perseverance. When you face opposition, 
When you face suffering, to do this would put me in a spot where I'll suffer. And our young people have to do this. If I'm going to live up to what Cabot taught me last Sunday in Bible class, I've really, he described a situation that comes right up on me on Thursday. And if I'm going to practice it, I'm going to face some opposition. I may have to suffer for holding on to this act of faith. And you do it anyway. You do the work of faith rather than what you want to do. Oh, congratulations. You've just added to your faith steadfastness. And God is delighted when he sees that. Then when you actually live out that knowledge of faith, that faith teaching, not just doing the right thing, but with a godly disposition, with an attitude of grace and gratitude, you start looking like God in your attitude and in your face. And godliness results. It's not just what you do, it's how you do things. Then when you take that knowledge of God and that, that information God's given you about himself and about you and you actually reach out proactively toward your brothers and sisters in the church and you serve them, it becomes brotherly kindness. And let's, let's face it, you, you serve each other even when sometimes you rub each other the wrong way. And it's not just people you like and enjoy hanging around playing cards with, but it's people at the church you don't know well, and you know what, you haven't visited with them much, and in fact they have a personality different from you, but they're in need right now, and I'm going to reach out because of my faith, and I'm actually going to serve them. I'm going to take food to their house, I'm going to encourage them in some way, whatever it is, congratulations, you've just added to your faith brotherly kindness and then the highest one of all the crown of glory when you are willing to be self-sacrificial and serve someone who's an enemy or you don't know you've just practiced agape love and when you serve someone that you didn't have an inner desire to, but you knew you needed to and you did, you've just added to your faith love. What are you adding? This is hard work, y'all. This is, this, is, this is hard. That's why he says make every effort and he says be diligent. Why would you even bother you're going to pay a price. You're going to pay a price if you get good at baseball. You're going to pay a price if you get in the, you know, if you get in the spelling bee and you have to memorize the pages of the dictionary. You're going to pay a price. But what? How bad do you want to see the outcome? How bad are you wanting your goal? I'm wanting you as, as a church to, to settle, not settle for this childish faith. And I define childish faith as what you were raised with, but you haven't added a single thing since then. You've been raised with it, you've inherited this faith from your parents, but you haven't added one single thing to it. That's childish faith. Or you might be complacent faith. You obey just enough, obey just enough to get the blessings of the faith. You're baptized, you're immersed, but you haven't added a single thing since then. You love sucking on this bottle of milk, but you refuse to take on the meat that God wants you to, uh, to add to your diet. You, I'm just going to do just enough to make God... You know, oh, save me, and I'm not going to add anything to it that's complacent. And then there's what I would call nominal faith. I'll go sit on a pew, but I won't do anything else. So you go sit on a pew, but you add nothing else. Nominal faith. These faiths will not sustain you. They will not produce fruit. They will not withstand trial. 
they will not sustain you on the road to heaven. You've got to add. And God has given you everything He can give you. He's blessed you, but there's one thing He can't do. He can't make you use it. Only you can do that. As you give more and more effort to this, you will see that fruit. And you'll be able to delight knowing that you've brought God pleasure. And grace stops being an excuse for not having to work because for so many people, well, grace, you can't do anything anyway, and so I'm not going to work because I've got grace. Grace is going to motivate you to work. It's going to make you delight in the work that you can do for the Lord. You're going to go to that hospice house sometime and serve spaghetti to those people, and you're going to take delight in it. And it's going to please you as much as it pleases God if you're growing this way, if you're growing this way. Our prayer is that you'll want this kind of faith so bad you'll do whatever it takes to have it. You've never responded and never, ever given your life to Christ. Now's a good time to do it, to walk the life of faith, to start that journey by saying the name of Jesus from your lips and being immersed in the waters of baptism, having all that past washed away. You don't have to be hindered by past mistakes, bad choices. All that's gone. And then start hearing the words of God and let them sink in and start working toward a life that pleases Him. You'll be saved already. But as Paul says, you're going to run in order to get the race. Now that God's worked salvation in you, you're going to work out that salvation in your life. And now that you've tasted, Peter says, that the Lord is good, you're going to grow up and you're going to get as much of Him as you can and you're going to ingest Him and you're going to want Him to please Him. And if for whatever reason you've started that journey, but for whatever reason you've distracted yourself, you've not added anything, you are the same person of faith as when you became a believer in the first place. You've added nothing. You don't need to respond at all, but some people, some people want to because they need the encouragement of the entire, and the pressure maybe, the peer pressure of the entire congregation. We're, we're willing to apply it if that's what you need. The elders long for you to have a faith that's fruitful, withstands falling, and gets you all the way to heaven. If that's the faith you want, you know how to get it. Make every effort, and let's be a church that practices a, a faith that adds up as God multiplies His grace. If that's what you want. Now's the time to respond as we stand and sing to encourage you. If this message has left you with questions or even a desire to take action in your walk with God, let us know if we can be of any assistance to you. Visit us at the Valley View Church of Christ in Jonesboro, Arkansas, or online at vvcoc.org, or visit the Church of Christ near you. Thanks for listening, and God bless.